0: Today I want to talk to you about something called self-control. Probably not one of our most favorite topics, but, you know, self-discipline, self-control, staying on the uh, right path, uh, not turning from side to side and getting distracted, but holding ourselves true to the call of God, holding ourselves true to what uh, the Lord has called us to be. Let's open up our Bibles to 2nd Peter. This is where I'd like to start today. 2nd Peter, first chapter. It's right after 1st Peter and before 3rd Peter. 2nd <laughs> Peter, chapter 1, verse 3. Peter kind of lays it down if I just read this passage, I probably don't have to do any more talking today, but you guys, uh, you know, you paid to be here today, so I'll talk a little more after this passage. But here we are in verse 3. By his divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. There it is right there. Boom. We have received all this by coming to know him, the one who called us to himself, by means of his marvelous glory and excellence. And because of his glory and excellence, he has given us great and precious promises. These are the promises that enable you to share his divine nature and escape the world's corruption caused by human desires. Which, how do we escape those human desires? It's self control. In view of all this, make every effort to respond to God's promises. Supplement your faith with a generous provision of moral excellence and moral excellence with knowledge. Knowledge with self-control and self-control with patient endurance and patient endurance with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection, with love for everyone. So you can see the uh, chain of events here. You know Moral starts with moral excellence, and then that moral excellence leads to knowledge, and knowledge leads to self-control leads to patient endurance. Patient endurance with godliness, which is a fruit of spirit, so is self-control. Godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love for everyone. If you want to have love for everyone, it starts with moral excellence. you want to have patience and endurance, it starts with self-control. If you want to have godliness, you must have patient endurance. And if you want godliness, if you want... Uh, Godliness, I mean, if you want brotherly affection, love for everyone else, it begins with godliness. Verse 8, The more you grow like this, the more productive and useful you will be in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But those who fail to develop in this way are short-sighted or blind, or forgetting that they have been cleansed from their old sins. So, dear brothers and sisters, work hard Or, in other words, practice self-control to prove that you really are among those God has called and chosen. Do these things and you will never fall away. Then God will give you a grand entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ and Savior Jesus Christ. Isn't that awesome? Peter just lays it all out there. You have everything you need, everything you need to be successful. Follow these chain of events. Um, work hard at them, work hard at that self control, and then prove that you really are among those that God has called. In our house gatherings, um, the couple of meetings that we've had so far, we've been studying, as I said earlier this morning, about Christ within. And so, the couple, first couple of meetings, we talked about what that means. We try to kind of formulate that and discuss it and awesome feedback from everybody in the group it's just been really cool how it's been progressing and one of the things that we have come up with is a symbolism of christ in us is in a home you know he has made a home within us well a home can be many things a home um we can run a home we can be a guest in somebody's home or we can own the home there's the three main functions of a home you can crash a home when you're not a guest you know you're just crashing it but For keeping it simple, those are three main things. So we talked about, is Jesus renting? Is he just renting space in your home? Can you kick him out, you know, if you feel like he has been paying a rent? Is he a guest? Well, most guests know. um, When people come over to my house for the house gathering, they leave. They're a guest for that night, but they are expected to leave. You know, the people that live there get to stay. Is Jesus a guest? Are you just welcoming him in, but... You know, Jesus has got to leave at some point. Or, is Jesus the mortgage holder? Does Jesus own that property within you? Does he get to stay forever? So we talked about those three things, and then as we progressed in our talks about that, um, I made a very big effort to not, um, for lack of a better word, try to confine us into a Bible study. I tried to allow it to be more Um, spontaneous. Let people kind of direct where we're going. If it gets off their tracks, I'll bring everybody back in. But it just seems to be working really well this way. So as we progress in talking, we talked about how uh, we are rooted and grounded in love. So what is that rooting and grounding in love? Well, in that home of Christ being within you, we learn what that love is. God exposes his love to us. He shows his love to us. And that starts to become something really important to you. Just like my family and my girls, the more and more I watch them grow, you know, and Ariana, you know, she's starting to talk and say things in sentences, and Jillian, you know, we had to buy her more clothes, you know, uh, she just does not stop growing. And shoes, you know. But the more and more I see them grow, and, and my relationship with Aubrey is nowhere near where it was when we first got married. It just continues to grow. Well, those kind of things can do one, two things. It can make you very fearful, very fearful that you could lose something like that. And then the second thing is, well, I need to protect this. What am I going to do to protect this family, protect those that I love dearly and cherish? So likewise, what do we do to protect the house, the temple, as the Bible calls it, Jesus has a temple within you. What do we do to protect the temple of God? To protect where we, where we house the Lord? And that's what we stopped at the last time we had our meeting. So I've been, uh, I've been on this, you know. So as I've been praying about this, you know, and I talked to uh, Tony a little bit about it. Like, what it, how do we protect that? You know, what are, the, what are the ways that we protect that? Well, surprise, it's self-control. It really is what it is. Self-control is protecting the temple of God within you. So how do we protect the heart? How do we protect that temple within us? Well, (coughs) here's another story. Uh, I began to think about how my experience with kidney stones, it was excruciating. Um, I don't even remember how long ago it was. Natalie, it was like five, six years ago now. So it's been a long time, yet it's still very fresh in my mind. (laughs) Um, And the result of it was, was drinking too much Coke, Coca-Cola, and drinking too much sweet tea. You know, tea is a diuretic. It dries you out. It actually dehydrates you. And Coke is all the stuff that's in the Coke. It's just bad for you. Well, that's all I drank for 15 years. You know, it's all I drank water here and there, but it's all I drink. So I was killing my kidneys. And so it created these gigantic stones that they had to surgically remove. And so, ever since then, maybe a cup of Coke here and there, but even then I'm, you know, washing it down with another glass of water. Uh, I have not drink, drank tea in forever. Long, I can't remember the last time I had a cup of tea. Sweet tea. So, this fresh memory has protected me has kept me safe. This self-control has protected me from ever getting a kidney stone again. I am so sure that I'm never going to get it again because that's all I drink is water and water and water and water with lemon. Lemonade is very good for your kidneys, but that's all I drink is water. And every time I think, oh man, it would be really good to have a nice cold Coke. You know, I get the craving. It's just something about it. The fizzy and everything. It's just great. But the remembering the memory of going through that. One Coke isn't going to kill me. I can do that. It's completely fine. But just the memory keeps my self-control in. Uh-uh. I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it. So I started to think, well, maybe that's what it is. Maybe we should go to a really painful experience to uh, teach us to not do that again. You know, that would help us k- be protected, to keep our hearts secure from the world trying to take us down. Um... Another thing I thought of was my dogs. We—they're uh, 50 and 40 something pounds. They're, they're pretty strong, very, very strong. And twice now, they have dragged Natalie, just literally, just dragged her because they saw a dog and they wanted to get it. And Natalie's not even 50 pounds, I don't think. So they're just dragging her all over the place. Melody won't even walk the dogs, so we had to get the choke collars, you know. And instantly, we put the choke collars on the two of them. And walked them, it was like night and day. Greta and Alex just walking along. They, they walk, oh, oh, no, no. You know, they want to pull, oh, no, no. And they just, Greta's walking right next to me. They sniff, you know, okay, come on. It's just night and day. Just like that, you know. And I know you can train them and make them not have to use a choke collar, but I don't have time for that. And my kids need that. My kids need something to tell these dogs, do not drag me. So I thought, Maybe there's some kind of spiritual principle of God putting a choke collar on us, you know. We go to do something wrong and, oh, 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 okay, you know. That's how I pictured my kidney stone thing, really. it just, I want to do it, and something pulls me back. But the more I thought about it, <coughs> how uh, scary that is, a God putting choke collars on us, or the fact that we have to go to a painful experience to, you know, not do something that we shouldn't be doing, I don't know if that's just it's that simple, uh, because all around us we see people doing stuff, coughing and gagging. I have coworkers coughing and gagging, and they're just sick and they're still lighting up another cigarette and smoking it, you know. Um, or they got you know terrible teeth problems, you know, because they won't brush their teeth. But oh, you know, nothing will train them to stop doing that. So it can't be that. And I don't think God's using choke collars on us. So the Bible talks about the fruit of the Spirit, right? So we're going to talk about that today. So all those things are not going to work. It's not going to help us to keep doing it. Or another one is having great slogans, you know. Don't put off tomorrow what you can do today, you know. Uh, uh, Life is fleeting. Take a, you know, a hold of it. Uh, grab it by the coattails and go for it, you know. Life is short. All those slogans. There's tons of motivational sayings. You can read about, you know, John Wooden or... Uh, Tom Landry, those great coaches of the past and how they trained and taught. Tom Landry always said, my job as a coach is to make players, make men, he said, do what they don't want to do in order so that they can live their life and accomplish the things they've always wanted to do. He has to convince these guys to not want who don't want to do this, practice, practice, practice. That's basically all it was. They don't want to do any of that, but i got to convince them to do it so that they can accomplish everything that they've ever wanted to be. That's really what it is. And it's, there's no better principle of a Christian walk. You know, God is working with us, convincing us to do the things that we don't want to do in order for us to have the life that we really want. Everything that we've ever wanted. So how do we practice this self-control? How do we protect ourselves from falling again and again to that same thing, whatever it is, that same sin that we keep failing and falling to. In Proverbs 25, 28, it says, A person without self-control is like a city with broken down walls. Proverbs 25, 28. A person without self-control is like a city with broken down walls. So there we go. The walls of your temple, if you don't have self-control, those walls are broken. And what does that mean if the walls are broken? You're exposed. You're open to the enemy attacks. You're open to your flesh. You're open to whatever whim that comes your way. You're exposed. You're not weak. I believe the two biggest enemies of self-control and living in self-control is laziness and slumber. In Proverbs 24, again, uh, in Proverbs, but chapter 24, verse 31, he said, I walk by the field of a lazy person, the vineyard of one with no common sense, I saw that it was overgrown with nettles or ivy or, you know, vines. It was covered with weeds, and, it was, and its walls were broken down. And then as I looked and I thought about it, I learned this lesson. A little extra sleep, a little more slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. Then poverty will pounce on you like a bandit, and secure, uh, scarcity will attack you like an armed robber. Poverty... Uh, doesn't mean finances. Poverty could mean anything. It can mean poverty in your f- spiritual life, poverty in your emotional tank, you know. Poverty just means lack. Lack will come upon you like a bandit. And scarcity will attack you like an armed robber. Here, sleep, slumber, doesn't necessarily mean sleeping. We all need to sleep. But I, I hope you see the metaphor here. You know, we're just, ah, I can do it tomorrow. You know, uh, i got shows I need to catch up on. You know, whatever excuses come up, we'll really quickly, easily have this lazy, slumber, sleeping attitude, sleepy attitude about life. Um, Of course, you could say, well, what do I do when I get tired? When I'm tired, well, then get some sleep. (laughs) Go to sleep if you're tired. But there's a couple of things that you can consider, too. Consider your diet. You know, uh, I have a friend on Facebook who uh, did this no-sugar diet, you know, God forbid I'll ever do that, <laughs> but um, he did this no-sugar diet and lost 25 pounds, like, in know, six weeks, and feels great, has much more energy, wants to attack the day, go for a thing, and this guy was already really successful, really successful in his business, but now he's, like, the sky's the limit, and he's just not so lethargic, so... I'm just bringing that up, maybe that's what it is. Maybe it's too much sugar in your diet, I don't know. Um, but consider what you're eating, and consider the hours you keep. Are you going to bed at a good time? You know, are you sleeping on a right mattress or a right pillow? These are very practical things that we can do that could instantly change our life and the physical. Um, how about uh, over being overstimulated? This is a big one. Uh, I read this research thing that said the amount of data you know that we're accumulating on a daily process is more than ever in the history of mankind in this day and age. Just everything coming out of twenty-four-seven, from news and entertainment and smartphones and computers. And I like the commercial where the guy's—he's at his computer and he's watching a sports game, and then he gets up and leaves the house and he's on his tablet and he's walking down the street watching the sports game on his tablet. And then when he gets to work, he puts the tablet away and just takes out his little phone, and now he's watching a sports game on his little phone. And, you know, the the commercials, like, talking about the amazing advantages of technology, and you won't miss what you really want to watch, even through your whole life. So from beginning to end, you're glued to this technology. Well, how much is loss, you know, in that process? Nothing else got done. He just focused, even at work while he's watching the game, nothing got done. Um, we are grossly overstimulated. And that overstimulation causes tiredness. It causes slumber. We're just, we're tired out. We can't take anymore, you know. There are times I'm sitting in bed and I'm like, I'm not quite tired yet, and I just (laughs) scroll to my smartphone and try to find an article to read or something to make myself go to sleep. That's terrible, you know. I'm like saying to myself, what am I doing? What am I doing? You know. I just turn it off and put it down. and So I wonder if the equivalent of this distraction is similar to the Old Testament. Now they didn't have all this stuff that we have now, but it's amazing how they see all these great signs and wonders of the Lord um, getting them out of Egypt and bringing them water when struck the rock and going to the wilderness and all that stuff, yet they still had to build idols. They still had to go to other cultures, other tribes that God told them to stay away from, don't you know? marry them, don't convert with them, and be with them. And they still went to that. After everything they saw, they still went to that. I bet it's similar. What it, what it really comes down to eventually is that Jesus isn't enough. Jesus is not enough. We need more. We need, you know. We're, our fleshy desire feels like Jesus isn't causing uh, enough happiness in our life. Like... Uh, Jesus can't com- compete, I'm sorry, with video gaming. You know, playing video games and watching this. Jesus can't compete with that. He can't compete with 3D movies. Your 3D movies, When you th- how can Jesus compete with that? There's just no way. Netflix, Jesus doesn't stand a chance. He just doesn't stand a chance. There's no way God could offer an entire series of a show in one night. That's just, he can't compete with that. At that at stimulation that we desire and crave, Jesus does has no answer for that. Only the world does. And that should tell us something. So the point is, sometimes Jesus isn't enough. But how, think of this, and I always put the but in there, how does that compare with a transfiguration on the mount? When Jesus appeared and, and, and uh, oh man, I just forgot, Elijah and, they were there, standing with them. I mean, how is, that, how is that to think about? Or how about this? Jesus spoke. Well, God spoke. We didn't see Jesus in Genesis 1. God spoke, and there were birds. Who can compete with that? Birds, those wonderful singing birds that we hear every morning that brings us joy until they poop in our car. Or think of this one. He designed three billion lines of code, of base pairs of code, of DNA. And all he said was, let there be man. Three billion, just like that. You know how long it took someone to make just a kilobyte of code? It used to be on a a five-and-a-half disk floppy drive. Some of us older ones remember this, you know, the big, huge, giant floppy drive and then it went down to the little drive, and then it went down to CDs, and now we're just using these little tiny uh, flash drives that can hold a trig, uh, uh, not trig, uh, what's the terabyte, one terabyte of information on this little tiny flash drive. But you know how long it took them to get to that? And before anything happened, God said, there it is, boom. You know, we're still just trying to figure out everything there is to know about DNA. And God did that. So, if God were to stand here, he would say, you know, try to compare yourself to that. Our smartphones, our smartphones only have about a million lines of code. And the DNA has three billion base pairs. And that's just the DNA. And that's not talking about all the atoms and the proteins. It just you can't even put your mind to it. It's just mind boggling. It's mind boggling. So I say that is Jesus can't compete with everything that's being coming after us but the stuff we're getting to try to stimulate and make us feel whatever it is that we're trying to feel, I'm getting a little ahead of myself, but will never satisfy the craving in your life. All the overstimulation will never satisfy. The world we live in today demands so much of the brain process. We consistently find ways to keep ourselves stimulated with every available device, news, whatever. But the hard truth this is the very hard truth. Your inner sanctuary where Jesus dwells can only be stimulated by the Spirit. Everything else just leaves you thirsty for more. We keep drinking from dirty pots. This is, the, this is the hard truth. The stuff that we're getting our satisfaction from is dirty pots with holes. So you have a pot with holes in it. It can only hold the water up to where that first hole is. You know what I mean? that makes sense? So we've got pots with holes. The water only goes up to where the first hole is. And since it's sedentary, it gets dirty. You know, there's no... You can't refresh the pot and add more water in it because it just goes out of all the holes again. You know, that's, the, that's what we're going to if you picture the world satisfying you that way. In Jeremiah 2.13, God says, For my people have done two evil things, or in the King James, two sins, They have abandoned me, the fountain of living water, and they have dug themselves cracked cisterns that can hold no water at all. There's two things to consider here. (coughs) The word dug, they have dug cisterns. This implies work. So why are we tired all the time? Why are we, you know, have no energy? Because we're digging we're working so hard at this worldly system that we're just tired out for anything else. And then the second thing it implies is while you're digging a cistern, where's your back to work? What is pointing to our God? To your back. Your back is pointing to our God. You're not facing the Lord. Your, your, your back is. You know, you're just digging a cistern and you're just working hard at your life and just trying to have self-control and trying to be happy and trying to be full of the joy of the Lord and we're just getting dirty, you know. An old cowboy proverb, if you want to wrestle with the pig, you're going to get dirty. You know, we're trying to grab whatever that elusive thing is. The pig is so hard to catch, but you're going to get dirty doing that. There is an encouraging part of this verse, however. At the very beginning, he says, for my people have done two evil things. My people. If the... uh, If God had completely abandoned us and said, there's no hope for you, he just said, these people have done two evil things. But he said, my people. That, my friends, should give you hope. In Matthew 5.5, it says, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the kingdom of God. Right? Another translation of that is, Blessed are those who know their need for God, for they shall inherit the kingdom of God. But, if you were to get into the Greek word of the word meek, I had no idea that this is what the word meek means. I'm not going to even read the word. Who cares? Biblical meekness is not weakness, but rather refers to exercising God's strength under his control. For example, it's demonstrating power without undue harshness. The power he wants to demonstrate within you won't even be harsh. It won't even tire you out. There's no digging, there's no working, there's no striving, there's no overstimulation. It's just pure God's control over your life. It's not weakness, but rather refers to exercising God's strength under his control, demonstrating power without undue harshness. There is more freedom and power within the confines of self-control than there is without. You step outside of that self-control and just want to live your life free and how you want to live it, and everything else, you know, trying to hold you down, hold you back. Well, this minute you do that, you just shackled yourself into, you know, chains and handcuffs, because that that's just broken cisterns. It's just broken cisterns with holes and dirty water. So you want to inherit the kingdom of God? I do. (laughs) You want to inherit a vision the Lord has to give you? We need to practice self-control. So what will it take? Well, I'm not going to go into it because we've heard it over and over again, the fruits of the Spirit. In Galatians 5, um, and I think it's in Ephesians as well, we know everything that the the fruit of the flesh, you know, and then we know the fruit of the Spirit. Now, self-control is one of the fruit of the Spirit, but gentleness, meekness, kindness, loving, you know, all those things. But sometimes that can seem really abstract, right? It's like, okay, that's great. All those things are there, all those things are there, but how do I get that? You know, how do I take hold of that and make that part of my life? Unfortunately, many don't know what it means. Many don't know how the Spirit speaks to them. You know, there's so many people I talk to, and they, they don't really have the Spirit talk to them. And like, what? It's, you know, He talks to you? I don't know what that is. Um, many don't understand at all what you. Uh <coughs> where am I here? Oh, many don't know how to pray in the Spirit. Like Paul talks about, I pray in the Spirit. I pray in tons more than anything else. You know, praying in tons is like the gateway into the Spirit of God. It just links you right in and plugs you right in. It's praying in a way that you don't know how to say in English words. That's really what it is. It's just you don't know what to say, so you pray into the Spirit. Now, uh, I know it's weird, and I know it you know, uh, just doesn't make sense, you know, praying that way and just speaking in some weird gibberish thing. And, and I've heard some weird ones. But uh, when I was in high school, uh, I had been baptized by the Holy Spirit. You know, I felt the Lord touching me, so I knew I was baptized, but I, I had not spoken a ton yet. So we were in high school, and we had a chapel, and the principal of the school spoke that day. He didn't always speak, but he spoke that day. And he talked about this very subject. And he said, anybody wants to speak in tongues, come on up. Just come on up. So I was like, I do. So I came on up. And he came up and he started praying, a couple people, and he came to me and he prayed for me. And he like gets close to me like, Jesse, just talk. Just talk. Just say it. Just come on out with it. And so I was like, all right. So I just came out with it. You know, blah blah and just came out with it. And it was silly, and it was weird, it was totally a move of faith, and what was amazing was what I was speaking, I was hearing it in English. That was the cool part. So I knew what I said, you know, the first thing I said when I was saying and speaking in tongues was praise the Lord. And it just made sense, it just said praise the Lord in my head. So, that was awesome, and then I never really use it again. But it never left me until when I started going to college and going to Elam for Bible school, and I started to develop it. You know, started praying with it more, and it was always quicker, always quicker, to get to God and get to the Spirit when I started with that first. instead of just, "Oh Lord, bless me today." I, I just praise you. I give you thanks. You know, just pretty soon, the words just don't cut it. You know, you're just talking like, man, I sound terrible. I sound terrible. Like a weak, terrible Christian man, so I'm just going to pray in tongues, and I just pray in tongues, and then the English word come out with power. You know like, I, I come to you, Lord, I, you know it's just awesome, it's just awesome. So those of you that don't and would love to, um, we can pray about that today. I would, I would love to pray over you and have you have that gift of tongues. But the more important thing is, if you really want to, if you really want to. Lock yourself in a room and don't leave until you have it. That's really what it takes. Just totally desire and want it. Take a step of faith and don't leave your room until you get it. Just pray in the way that you know in your own words and say, Lord, I'm just going to come out with it. And just come out with it. Just take that step of faith and then there it is. The Lord will show you the way to pray. He will show you the way to pray. If you truly believe the Holy Spirit lives in you and you've been baptized, the Lord will show you. He will give it to you. So, anyways, the seriousness you demand from your flesh to step aside with your desire to understand it all. Well, let me say this about it this way. The seriousness you demand from your flesh to step aside with this desire will I am trying to make this sound right. The seri- if you take the seriousness, if you're taking this serious that your flesh is in the way and you really want it to subside and get, you know, be master over your flesh. then you should not try to understand it all. There it is. Stop trying to understand it all. Stop trying to figure it all out. Just yield to the Spirit and pray. Just do it. If you really want to, just do it. Your heart will show the Lord how serious you are, if you're really serious. In 1 Corinthians 9.24, another famous passage, Don't you realize that in a race, everyone runs, but only one person gets the prize? So run to win. All athletes are disciplined in their training. They do it to win a prize that will fade away. But we do it for an eternal prize. So I run with purpose in every step. I am not just shadow boxing. I'm not just standing here shadow boxing, you know, hoping for the day when I get into a fight. No, you do all that training and running and exercise so that you can go in a race. Or you can get in a ring and box with a guy. Or you can... Uh, Get on your bike and ride for 100 miles. You do all that training so that you can do something with the training. Here at church, and then we have the house gatherings. Um, we have the children's church upstairs. We have all kinds of places where we get training. Let's start using some of that training. Amen. Let's start using it. Let's get into the race. We're not just doing this for fun. You know, shadow boxing. It's a great analogy. Um, I'm not... I am not just chattel boxing. In verse 27, I discipline my body like an athlete, training to do what it should. That's what Paul's doing. He's disciplining his body to do what it should. Um, I want to give you a couple of examples, three examples from the Bible. Uh, your heart will always follow your greatest desire. Whatever it is, at the given moment, your heart will always follow your greatest desire. There are three guys here, Abraham, Daniel, and David. Abraham, after he had been spoken to by God and saying that you're going to be the father of many generations, you're going to own this promised land, you're just going to be the man. You're going to have everything that I've given you, and you're going to be blessed, and so forth. When he gets ready to travel, he starts traveling with his nephew, Lot. Well, they... uh, I'm quickly paraphrasing here, but I'm sure many of you know the story. He's with Lot, and they have these gigantic herds of lambs and goats and you know all this stuff, and they're just gigantic. And then the herdsmen and then their families. Can you imagine the scene, you know, walking along out there in, in, the, in the land that they lived in? The herdsmen started coming to Abraham and Lot and saying, there's not enough food for everything. These, these animals are just scouring up the ground. We need to separate. So Abraham said, now this is the guy who's been just promised everything. So he's the boss, and he's the uncle. So Lot is subservient to his authority. But he said, he said, Lot, you make the decision. If you go right, I'll go left. If you go left, I'll go right. Now, I don't remember which one it was. If Right was... Already they could tell was beautiful, lush, lots of uh, provisions, and it would be awesome. To the left was barren. There was nothing over there. You know, it, would be very, it was obvious from just looking it was going to be really tough to raise your family and feed your flocks. But he gave Lot the choice. Isn't that something? Lot said, well, <laughs> I'm choosing the, over there. I'll take the, the land of plenty. He said, all right, I'll go this way. What Abraham demonstrated there was that he was confident in God's promise. Instead of, well, God promised me that, so that means I should go this way because that's what he promised me. I'm going to have a land of plenty, and I'm going to have to be a father of many generations. I-, I should take the lush land. He didn't make that decision on his own. He said, God will provide, so I'm going to go wherever opposite of what Lot decides. He probably knew what Lot was going to decide. I don't know. But Abraham went that way. He still got blessed. He still went on to be the the what God had promised him to be. And then everybody knows, remember where Lot ended up in Sodom and Gomorrah, and the whole nastiness that went on over there. So Abraham decided to allow God to govern his life and not take advantage of a situation for God. You know what I mean? You know how like we get we found a thousand dollars on the ground? Yes, it must be the Lord. You know, well, it probably should return it. You know, wherever it goes to. But if we're deciding to God to be the, the, you know, to provide for our lives, that's how we should approach it. So Daniel, Daniel is an awesome story. Um, King Nebuchadnezzar, you know, knew these guys were righteous, knew these guys followed a God, and he was trying to curry favor with them. So he was giving them, like, the best food and the best clothes, and he was just trying to, you know, manipulate them and bribe them. And Daniel said, um, look, guys, I've been used to just eating simple vegetables, and a, I put it in water, and I just make a little soup. You know, I'm paraphrasing again. I just make a little soup, and I've been fine with that. I don't need anything more. Um, the servant said, "No, no, no, no." King said, "You have to have the best. We need to, you know, fatten you up and make you happy." And he's like, "Look, if I, if you see that I'm going weak eating this way, then we can talk again. But right now, all I need is what I've been eating." So Daniel refused. Now. Some people would say, the Lord provides, you know, turkey, mashed potatoes, oh my gosh. The Lord is providing, he's providing clothes and the best room and the place to live. And, you know, this must be the Lord. But Daniel was wise. He knew self-control. He knew, no, God provides my needs, not a king. And I'm going to stick with that and be honoring God that way. So Abraham practiced self-control, Daniel practiced self-control. And then David knew he was called to be the king. He knew it. God had made, ador- anointed him to be the next king. But Saul was still king. Saul got jealous. So David fled for his life, hiding in those caves. And Saul went and sent all his armies out there. While in this particular time, Saul was with the army, camped in the very cave that David was in. And David had an opportunity to take care of Saul. He had an opportunity to kill Saul. But he didn't take it. But he could have thought, this must be the Lord. Saul is right here. I could take care of this thing and I can finally be king. I'm king anyways, right? God called me to be the king. I could just cut his head off right here and it would be over. I don't have to run anymore. I don't have to hide in these caves like a pig. And we can just finally get on with things. David didn't do that. He practiced self-control. And he said, no, Saul, as bad as he is, he's God's anointed. He knew God anointed Saul, and that would, you know, being a guy after God's own heart, he knew he couldn't do that. So the end of the story is they found out David was in there. He says, ah, I was in here the whole time, and I didn't kill you. I didn't take your life, but I could have. But um, I decided to trust the Lord for my life. So there's many examples here of great men of God who practiced self-control, who lived in a way that said, I will wait for the Lord to provide, instead of just taking advantage of every situation that I think is the Lord doing, you know? So, going back to the food of the spirit, it's difficult to kind of grab it because it's kind of abstract. So I'm going to give you six things. Um, Really, it could have been two, but I wanted to give you a little extra. But, um, Here are six things, six guidelines, if you will, six points you can write down and kind of highlight for your life to uh, practice, if you will, self-control and practice the Spirit, practice the Spirit of God in your life that those fruits of the Spirit, those things that we really long for, will become more evident in our lives. It takes a decision and then it takes yielding. Remember, your works are just that. Your works. You can't work your way to self-control. It'll work for a little while. Anyone's ever done that? You know, a 30-day diet and you did it for 28 days. Um, uh, Two weeks to better abs and you did it for eight days. You know, there's always something that you can't just fully complete. You know, the thing that you really desire It just works. It just works. It's very difficult to try to convince your flesh to to stick with that. Especially, like I said before, I just really want to ram this home. Your working, your digging is what's going to tire you out. However you feel physically will make you feel spiritually. They just kind of always go hand in hand. Unless you know how to transcend your physical body. And that's what Paul's talking about. I transcend this body who's always trying to buffet me and make, you know, I try to buffet my body, but it's always trying to make me do the things I don't want to do. Well, I pray to the Lord that the spirit will be stronger in me than it is in the flesh. And we battle that and we beat it and we beat it and we make the flesh our servant. So you're getting tired if you don't know, if you don't think it's the physical things like you know, sleeping on the wrong bed, it could really make a big difference. The wrong pillow. But all those things, your diet, if it's not any of those things then tell your body, I'm not tired. You know, I need to finish reading this whole book of Romans, and then I'll go to bed. You make little tiny decisions like that, little baby steps, it's going to benefit you in the end. You make your body your servant. You make your life under the servant servant of God. In the servanthood of God. So, however you remember that, however you feel physically, will affect you spiritually. Always. It just, hand in hand, unless you transcend that. Go to the Lord in the Spirit. Alright. Here are the six things. Number one, where is your focus? Is your focus, is your back to God, or is your face to the Lord? Are your hands holding a shovel with your face to the Lord? Tell me what to do, and I'll work it. You know? Or are your hands prostate to your side, and you're facing the Lord? I'm just you know, giving you some symbolism here, but where is your focus? What are you focusing on for your sustenance, for your uh, nutrients, for your uh, health? Where is your focus? And so number one is always remember where your focus is. Keep your focus on God. Um, I like a little folding, you know, a little extra sleep, a little extra slumber, and I pictured the smartphone. A little folding of the hands over the smartphone, you know, in Proverbs. You know, we can adapt it to this day and age. A little folding of the hands over our, bowl of Cheetos, you know, a little bowl, you know, folding of the hands over the bowl of ice cream. You know, we sit and watch Netflix. You know, there's so many things that can distract us, to keep us from that. So number one is where is your focus? Number two, ask yourself, do you want to win? Do you want to win? And then win is an acronym for what's important now. Do you want to win? I want to win. I like winning. I like it when my teams win or whoever I pick the win wins. (laughs) But I like winning. But the win is what's important now. So as you focus, I always say start in the morning because why not? That's when you first wake up and you're ready to go. Keep your focus on the Lord. Keep your focus on what the Spirit is telling you. Pray in the Spirit. Get what the Lord's showing you. And then always ask yourself, what's important right now? You know, if, if, if it's too, uh, I'm drawing a blank on examples. But whatever, you know, there are so many things that we put aside, right? You know, I have a couple of mounds of laundry in my room. They're all clean, and it's just a never-ending chore. But we put it aside, you know what I mean? Because there are more important things to do. <laughs> <coughs> so always ask yourself, what's important now? That daily exercise will really help you. You start realizing, well, I really want to do this, whatever it is, but that's not important. That will not help me. If you don't watch TV for a week because you keep asking yourself what's important now, trust me, you'll survive. You'll make it. If you don't pick up Facebook and look at Facebook for a week, trust me, you'll survive. You'll make it. You'll you'll, You'll do it. Little things like that, you can just tell yourself, is it more important to spend an hour zoning out on something Or should I spend this time and call up somebody and encourage them? You know, whatever the case may be. I'm not going to throw stuff out there and try to guilt trip you guys. That's not what I'm trying to do. It's just there are things that we could be doing that are more important. So that's number two. Number three, build the safeguards around your temple and your heart. These walls signify actions on your part to remain holy and to avoid situations where you may lose control. Jerusalem had walls I've seen it myself (laughs) but uh, Jerusalem had walls the temple had walls and then the temple had walls around the temple walls why? to keep it safe and then the distance between those walls of your heart and you should not just be hands length (laughs) you know I'm I'm covered in walls but I can touch the walls don't build walls like that build walls where you can't touch the wall and it's, it's a nice big courtyard, if you will, picture it, of walls around you, because the distance you put yourself between the flesh and sinning and doing the things that you shouldn't be doing should be much farther than just one step, if that makes sense. If you can just take one step and be doing wrong, then your walls are too close. They're too close to you. Keep the distance. Make, build a big wall, and then inside those walls of your heart, live and reign and rule, and let God bless you. Pray in the spirit, it's awesome. It's really awesome living that way. So number three is to build the safeguard, build the walls around your heart. Number four, um, piggybacks on that. You can build a wall with rocks, right? And just stack the rocks, find the right rocks, or they could be bricks. find the right bricks, or giant stones like they did back in the day. They're just big square blocks. But, Pastor Terry, if you build a wall and you don't build and you don't do anything to bind the wall together, anybody could just kind of give it a push and it'll fall over, right? Build a wall of bricks and you could just push the bricks right over. So, number four is daily meditation on the word. Daily meditation on the word. And this should be number one, really. All of these should be number one. But meditation on the word. It's not, um, you know, like the New Age meditation and, you know, clear your mind of everything and don't think of anything. And and so what are you supposed to think of? Nothing, you know, it's kind of weird. But meditation is just pick up a book of the Bible from anywhere and just read it. The other day I read Nehemiah. I haven't read Nehemiah since college, you know, and it was cool. it's just a lot of stuff in there, but it was like, wow, this is cool. I had no idea that all these families, I was reading about the wall of Jerusalem and when they rebuilt it, and it talked about how this family from this tribe rebuilt that section and then built that gate and then put in the bolts, bars, and doors. I said that every time. The bolts, the bars, and then the, the lock, like, detailed. And then this family and that uncle did this, and this family and that son did this, and they just went all the way around Jerusalem building the wall. And it was just a cool read, you know, it was just kind of cool. But I had more fun doing that than scrolling through Facebook, you know, stalking people's lives. Uh, it, was, it was much more entertaining when you realize meditating on the Word. So meditate on the Word daily. Uh, oh, yeah, and that's what I was talking about the wall. The Word, the walls you erect around your heart is fortified by the Word of God. So when you build that brick wall, whatever it is that you're using to build, picture the word, the cement, the binding glue that keeps the wall together. When Jesus was tempted in the wilderness and Satan was hitting him with all those questions, what did he use to defeat him every time? The word of God. He didn't use anything else. He just used the word of God. So his walls were strong and his walls were fortified with the word of God. That so all those bricks and structure and stones that are held together are held together by cement, held together by the glue, if you will, that keeps the wall from you just go up to it and push it down. I just thought of this. You should put the word of God to hold the wall together so that you don't push it down. I'm tired of this wall. I'm pushing it down. I'm going to go, you know. So it's to save, it's to protect you too. That's good. Number five, physically take care of yourself. Physically take care of yourself. This is key in the natural, physical self. You need to be healthy. You need to be uh, taking care of your body and how you eat and how you how you sleep. Though it's very key. It's very true. Um, the more and more stuff that comes out, you know, I find hard to argue with it. You know, what you eat and how you live and um, how you sleep and how many hours you're keeping up and so forth. I'm never going to have the kale diet. But, you know, whatever it takes to make yourself feel more healthy, more energized, you should be doing those things. Because how you feel naturally, physically, affects you spiritually. And lastly, number six, is unplug yourself from the Matrix. I'm sure you've all seen the movie The Matrix, right? But unplug yourself. There's a scene where Neo is in a... Vat and all these tubes are plugged into them and they're sucking the energy out of them so that the robots can live. Well, vice versa. You need to unplug yourself from the Matrix. Put aside the entertainment and the phones and the, all the things that will try to you know, take your attention. Give over your overstimulated brain. Give your overstimulated brain a break. That's part of number four, taking care of your physical body. Give your brain a break. Give your eyes a break. You know, you're too overstimulated. You're so tired out from all what the world throws at you. Take a break from it. Um, Make the choice to live in the present. You know what I mean? All this stuff that distracts us and worry about the future and, you know, it's election year, so you know how that is. Everybody's all fretting and getting all, you know, bent out of shape. And, man, it's just exhausting, isn't it? It's exhausting trying to keep up with all that. So unplug from that. Just unplug from that. Live in the present and just appreciate what you have right now. You know, Appreciate what the Lord has given you. Appreciate where you're at. Appreciate what the Lord is going to accomplish in you. So those are the six things. Where is your focus? Ask yourself, do I want to win? What is important now? What's important now? Build the safeguards of walls around your heart to protect you from sin. Daily meditation on the Word as the glue that keeps the wall together. Physically take care of yourself. Make yourself, you know, get yourself healthy, get yourself with some energy. And lastly, unplug yourself from the matrix. You do these six things. uh, You will see self-control become real in your life. Um, Will it be a fight? Yes, it probably will be especially if you let it go for a long time. But I like what uh, what God said there in Jeremiah. My people have done two things. Yes. So that, going back to that, and I'm going to end with that, that there should encourage you, because you will always be his people. You will always be his son and daughter. And like the prodigal son, he will always welcome you back. He always say, come on, i got the best stuff for you, the best clothes, the best food. I have the ring. I have the jewelry to put on you. And I know how to honor you. I know how to show you praise and love. And everything that the prodigal son did out there left him shackled and exhausted and messy and muddy and lost all his inheritance. But when you come back to the Lord, just like that. You know how fast it was to get saved? It's pretty quick, right? It's the same thing when you come to the Lord. It's that fast. Lord, I come back. I'm sorry. I messed up. I've been going to the world and digging my own cisterns and just sucking on the dirty water. I'm sorry. I'm coming back to you. Don't reject the living water. Antonio had an awesome opening. Don't reject the living water. Thank you, Lord Jesus. If you like to get prayer for the Holy Spirit to come into your life and give you the the ability to speak in tongues or the ability at the very least to pray in the Spirit to be able to withstand the, the barbs of the world and the sin, come on up and, and we'll pray for you. Pastor Terry and I will pray for you. And uh, don't, uh, don't keep kicking that can down the road of being able to pray in the Spirit. Don't keep kicking that can down the road. I mean, just take seize the seeds day to pray in the Spirit, to, to know how to pray and to know how to come to the Lord. Amen?